Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Unuhia te pō, te pō whiri marama. Tomakia te ao, te ao whatatangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau. Hamie, huie, tāi. Tēnā koutou katoa, greetings everyone, haere mai, and welcome to the BioBlitz virtual field trip. I'm Shelley, the Learns Field Trip Teacher, and it's 9.15am on Wednesday the 3rd of April. And we're well and truly into autumn. It's quite crisp here in Mount Summers this morning where we are. And I'd like to welcome along our experts. We've got four experts for you today, so you're very lucky. We've got Damien. Hi, everyone. Brad. Hi, guys. Nancy. Bruna. And in. And you can find out more about these guys by checking out their profile on the website. So currently we are sitting in the games room at the Mount Summers Holiday Park. And we've had to get all the dock staff back on track because they've been playing table tennis in the games room. But they're very eager to answer all your questions this morning. And we had to shift around at the start of the web conference because there was so much sun streaming in through the window. Uh, you might be able to see it out there. Beautiful day. Absolutely stunning day here in Mount Summers. So we're looking forward to heading up into Otuwharakai, the protected wetland area, which is part of the Hakateri Conservation Park. So we'll get to explore there and we'll find some critters because we've set up some pitfall traps and we've been collecting little critters from yesterday that we're going to have a look at today. So if you've read my diary already, you would have seen that we tried lots of methods for checking out the biodiversity and catching things. So today you'll get to see what we've found. Okay, so welcome along to our speaking school. We've got West Park School this morning and there's someone that wants to say hello. Bingo! <laughs> Pingu has been looking forward to talking to you guys. Um, had a great day yesterday up in Ōtewharakai with Maya, the Cheeky Loons Ambassador, the Kia. He wants to talk to you, he does. <laughs> there he goes. So the Ambassadors have had a great time over the last couple of days travelling up here to Mount Summers and exploring yesterday, so check out their web pages to find out what they've been up to. Okay, we'll make a start with our questions, West Park School, and if you can say your name and come up to the laptop nice and close so we can hear you, and we'll know who we're talking to if you use your name, which will be really cool. Okay, we'll start with question number one, please. Um, I'm not sure which one they are. West Park School. West Park School. Can we have a big wave from West Park School? Oh, are they not with us? No, I thought they weren't going to be here, remember? <laughs> no, no, that was North Street School yesterday because the teacher oh, okay. was... All right. Okay, do you want me to ask them <laughs> on there uh, until they that... turn up? Yep, that might be handy. Okay. Um, from Dasha, what is the coolest name a native animal has? Oh, that's a question. Oh, the coolest name a native animal has. This wasn't one for research. I've got, I've got my pick, but I'm sure <laughs> someone else has got theirs. I was thinking about this, and um, 
and the, the northern giant weta, the, the weta from up where I'm from, from, um, from Auckland, Tamaki Makaurau, is called weta punga. And that usually translates as, as the, uh, the god of ugly things. And I think that's a pretty cool name. <laughs> Come on, you guys, you must have Indeed. other picks. Any other? Hey, other what have you got? Anything? Um, I'm a bit of an animal buff, so I would probably pick something that I like, which would be tar, which is Hermeticus Jamelicus is the latter name. <laughs> um, but tar sounds pretty cool. It just rolls off the tongue quite well. <laughs> Hard spell. Hard spell, yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a couple of examples for you. And question number two, please. How many bioblitz have been done in New Zealand and for how many years? That's from Yukina and Arena. Damn, you know this one, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> um, there have been 17 since 2004. 17. Wow. And where did they start? <laughs> uh, that I'm not sure of, but he and my same colleague No, I can't remember where the where the first one was. And that 17 is just the big bio blitzes at a big public public event where lots of people come along. So I think there's been lots of kind of mini bio blitzes, kind of like our one. But um, but the big bio blitzes there's been there's been 17 of them. Right. And if you check out the Learns background pages, you might already know the answer to this. Um, and I think the first one was in Auckland yeah. um, in 2004. Well, yeah, yes. April 2004. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next question, please. Um, from Lulu, why are bioblitz useful? Mm, good question. Yeah, uh, bioblitzes are really useful um, because it's a, a good way of finding as many species as possible in a short amount of time. Um, if you've got lots of people helping you out, um, you'll be able to get those online and um, identified sooner. So, yeah, it's a really good way of contributing to citizen science where everybody can um, can contribute, um, no matter sort of what their skill set is. Mm. The, the other thing is that, you know, if you want to try and look after wildlife, if you want to look after what's there, you've really got to find out what's there and what needs looking after. That's, mm. a, you know, it's a big thing. Mm, and one thing that surprised me when I was researching for the background pages is that sometimes it's finding out not just what you want to restore in terms of biodiversity, but what you want to get rid of as well, because there might be some pest plants and animals that are more common than you think that you might need to control or get rid of. So bioblitz, very useful. And it's always good to know what lives in your own backyard. Okay, next question, please. Thanks. This is from Dasha as well. How many different animals do you think a bioblitz and autofarakai would find? Mm. Have to watch to find out. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Um, there'll be at least hundreds. Um, but if you follow our um, autofarakai bioblitz page, um, which we'll give you a link for, um, you'll be able to see on Friday how many we come up with. Hopefully there should be a few hundred by the end of it. Mm, and we've only gone to um, certain locations in Aotearoa. We haven't been able to go everywhere, and um, we'll only get a sample. And if you check out the background pages, uh, there was also the bioblitz that Mount Summers Springburn School students participated in, and they did a bioblitz at Lake Clearwater, which was where we did our plants video yesterday. 
So only a small part of all Tuwharakai, but um, from memory, they uh, found something like a hundred and something species. Have a look on the website because there are some stats of what they found during that bioblitz. And if you check out um, their, their site on iNaturalist, it shows you photos of all the observations that they made. So I'll, I'll do a, a link to that in my diary as well because that, it'll be quite cool to have a look at. Surprising how many creatures there are in an area that looks like it's actually just quite barren. Very interesting. Well worth protecting because of all of biodiversity. And next question, please. Thanks. This is from Lulu, and I reckon it's a really good question. When is the best time of the year to do a bioblitz and why? Mm. Any ideas, guys? Okay. <laughs> Come on, Brad, have a stand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think you're going to actually get lots of different species depending on the different times of year. Um, and that's because you and even in Otuwharekai, there's a lot of migratory animals that travel in and out, and they aren't always resident in that area. Um, and there's other animals that actually hibernate or become dormant, or even plants that once frosts get on them, they shrivel up and they aren't obvious at all. So I think the best time to find the most species is actually going to be late spring, early summer. And it's also a really good time to identify things because there'll actually be starting to be berries and things and flowers open and um, and a lot of those distinguishing features that allow you to find out what things are will be much more obvious. But I think if you're going to choose one time a year, I'd go for late spring or early summer. Almost all of the, of the 17 violets that happen, they've almost all happened in summer. I think there's been one or two sort of winter ones, but also they're different, but summer definitely. And also, if you're going to be outside all the time looking for animals, when it's warm is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, and if you're doing kind of a mini bioblitz, you might choose to do one in each season so that you can make comparisons. And I think, Barry, there's a big bioblitz happening in Christchurch soon, or about. Uh, yes. What has happened? Yep. The end of April, Christchurch of, uh, in a world bioblitz that is sort of a city challenge, a global city challenge, and Christchurch have entered it. So. Um, they're going to try and um, send out teams with volunteers who are just got their uh, smartphones ready to photograph stuff, but they'll have, in a lot of these teams, they'll have a, uh, a zoologist and a botanist to help them identify stuff on the spot. But um, a lot of stuff, I think, will be identified in the follow-up days. But it's mm. trying to get a snapshot of all of Greater Christchurch, so that's out onto um, Banks Peninsula and into parts of Selwyn. So I'm actually volunteering on it myself because I just think it's so worthwhile. Yeah, and interesting that it's happening at this time of the year, but if it's global, I guess more countries will be in their springtime, um, whereas we're in our autumn. So perhaps that's why they chose this time of the year. All right, next question, please. So there's one in the chat pod from another school, but we'll answer that later. Um, from Kahurukura, how do you know if an animal is a native when you see it? Hmm. Mm. Any ideas, guys? What no. could you use to help you? Right. I think you can't look straight at an animal unless you know it already and say whether it's native or introduced or not. So what you're going to have to do is find out what it is. 
And there's some really great keys around that enable you to find out what a plant or an animal is. And I think if you go to the iNaturalist site, they've got a whole lot of links to different web pages that are really good. So they'll have one for plants and one for the water invertebrates and one for birds and things. And you can go into those links and they'll help you find out what something is. So this is the really cool part about the BioBlitz is it's sort of a, a road of discovery and we're, we're finding out what everything is in our area and we can learn all those special stories about those plants and animals as well. So um, use those links and use those keys and um, uh, I think the iNaturalist is a great site for accessing that, those, um, those ways of finding out what things are. Damien, did you want to point out the bats as well for the, in terms of mammals? <coughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, New Zealand only has so most all of our introduced uh, at non-native uh, mammals that you will see commonplace, such as hedgehogs, rats, and mice, uh, possums, and cats. They've all been introduced. Um, New Zealand doesn't have only has two species of mammals, and they are bats, uh, long-tailed and short-tailed bats, um, which are only two species of mammals left, and the rest of them have been birds. So if you see if it's a mammal, um, it'll be introduced unless of course you're catching bats. Unless it's got wings <laughs> and it's flying. And unless you're looking in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so only two land mammals. And next question, please. Uh, just doesn't have a name. How long can it take to find an animal in the bioblitz? And do they move during it? Good question. Mm, yeah, Trixie, we we uh, can't make our animals stay still. We can make our plants stay still, probably. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think some of the capture techniques that we looked at yesterday actually require the animals to move for so that we can catch them. So um, things like the pitfall trap, we're really waiting for, especially nocturnal um, invertebrates to come out and, and fall in our bucket. So um, we were often requiring the movement um, to catch them, but. Um, the, the other thing is that a lot, of, a lot of animals, a lot of New Zealand animals especially, are really what they call cryptic. So they're really hard to find. So you have to look really carefully. And, and some of the animals, including uh, one of the birds we saw yesterday, are just, they're just rare. They're not often there. And really that's just a matter of luck, you know, being in the right place at the right time. So you know, we were fortunate enough to, to see a kotuku yesterday, a white heron. And, um, and they're not common up in Otifarukai. Uh, we're lucky. Mm, it takes a little bit of patience and um, especially with birds we found that we had to just stay still and quiet and be really good observers. Things like binoculars can help as well. Alrighty, next question please. Uh, the other thing I think for that previous question I think the person was maybe getting at is whether the same animal would be recorded more than once in a bioblitz because they have moved and I'm, I guess that's... Uh, entirely possible and maybe that's really useful information as well but moving on um, do you think you would find some of the same animals and plants if you did a bioblitz here in Johnsonville so um, I'm wondering if they mean the same as Otufarakai yeah. or what <laughs> that is a really good question and more and more these days we're finding these things plants or animals that are actually managing to live really successfully right the way around the world and we call those ones cosmopolitan species. And they're things like your white cabbage butterfly. I mean, there's going to be people in Europe that are finding white cabbage butterflies as well as we've, we found one 
we saw one yesterday on the Ashburton River Flats. So there's a whole suite of these animals and plants that are actually becoming much more common and spreading really successfully all the way around the world. And rather sadly, a lot of those are actually the real pest um, plants and animals that are causing a lot of problems in our New Zealand ecosystem. So if you have a think about it, even things like mice and rats that Damien's um, trying to um, identify in the basin, um, they actually have a whole worldwide distribution now. Um, and unfortunately, that is actually having a bit of a negative impact on native animals everywhere. There are, you know, it's not all introduced animals that you might find in Johnsonville and Otufarakai. There are a few uh, native animals, I'm thinking of birds especially, because I often do, uh, that, um, <laughs> that you might find in Johnsonville. So we saw um, some kahu, the, the hawk, uh, yesterday, the hairy hawk. Now there's a good chance that they'll be flying over the, the scrub at, uh, around Johnsonville on the margins to to um, have a look for prey there. Also, some of the little birds like um, like uh, piwaka waka, the fantail, uh, and the grey warbler, rido rido, that um, that you could easily find in your backyard in Johnsonville, and and we also find down here. So some of the native animals have quite a widespread distribution, you know, within New Zealand, um, but there are also many that um, that really need uh, fairly undisturbed landscapes, um, big big blocks of forest or big open grasslands like we have at Otifarakai or wetlands to, um, to thrive in. So really interesting to make comparisons between different places. Next question, please. This is the last uh, one of these. Do you repeat a bioblitz to see if things have changed? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> Come on, people. Thanks. Um, I would say that yeah, it's a good idea to. <clears throat> it's a really good idea to repeat to see if things change. Even seasonal variations is is often good to repeat um, to uh, to see what the difference between winter and winter and summer or spring and autumn. But yeah, definitely good to repeat by bits. You'll um, you'll definitely either notice changes, or sometimes it won't be change at all. It'll still be the same. And it's really interesting if you've got a project underway where you're trying to restore an area and you want to see whether you're um, doing a good job or not. You might do a bioblitz to see if you've been planting the right native plants that will attract native birds and so forth. And you might see change over time with the work that you're doing, or you might find that you need to do more predator control or something like that by doing repeated bioblitzes. Sometimes I'll say that Sometimes, so bioblitz can take a lot of people and a lot of time, you know, if you really want to look at absolutely everything. So quite often what we do is we just choose a few species that we call indicator species to have a look at the health of the system that you're trying to look at. So you might just monitor, you know, a few birds and see how well they're doing, and a few insects and a few plants, maybe some threatened species to make sure they're recovering well. So because it takes so much effort to, to do a bioblitz, it's great to to repeat them if you can, but if you can't, you might just want to pick a few species. And that's a really good point because Nancy showed us yesterday a really cool way of taking samples of plants using quadrats and, and transects. So check out that video because that's a really good way to focus your attention in on a small area and give you a representative idea of um, what's happening in an area rather than having to go out and survey everything. The BioBlitz is about finding all the different things that live in an area, not so much about the numbers, but the different species. And as um, our doc staff have said, it takes a lot of people 
to work together to do that. Alrighty, we're now going to open it up to questions from our listening schools. Uh, so type those in the chat pod. If you go down to the bottom of your screen, you'll see a little chat bubble. If you click on that, you can type questions. I think there's already some there, so we'll do our best to answer them. We had so many questions yesterday that we didn't get a chance to answer all of them. And if we don't today, remember you can join us for the final web conference at 9.15 tomorrow. Okay, let's see what we've got here. First one I see is from Isla. And I mean, you might be able to find us on Google, but it'd be good to hear a scientist <laughs> tell us their answer. How do spiders reproduce? Woo. Guys, any Thank ideas? <laughs> It's a stony silence. <laughs> I think this is where we, we show that none of us are really, you know, entomologists or no. arachnologists. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, I think this is, it's a, it's a, it's a question for, for Google. I think most um, insects have external fertilisation, but that's about as far as I can go with spider reproduction. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think there's just so many different species of spiders around the world that there's all different strategies. And so, you know, you get some really, really amazing, clever ways of um, dispersing and, and uh, moving your young around. So, like, um, you know, there's spiders that make big sails out of their webs and, they, and their young ones sail off in them across the landscape. And, uh, and there's some colony spiders that build nests in the grass. You often see them up in the grass, don't we? And then you get um, spiders that actually carry the young on their backs. So there's all there's a massive diversity in different ways that um, spiders raise their young. Very good. And we've got a question here. I'm struggling to keep up with which ones are our formal questions and which ones aren't. But I think here we've got one about when you've been out in the field finding insects as part of your doc job. Have you ever had a bad experience or a disaster? Oh, my gosh. I'm sure there's lots of stories here. <laughs> oh, my but gosh. This, this group, there must be lots of stories. <laughs> well, we had a bit of a disaster last night, actually. <laughs> Brad? Because, because someone put the insects that they found yesterday in the freezer <laughs> and they turned into a solid block of ice. <laughs> but we were a bit lucky. Because actually one of them was a big wetter and the wetter can survive. He, li he lives under the snow and ice all winter and hibernates. So we just got him out and we put him on the truck heater, warmed him up on the way up here and he's, he's in his little jar wriggling around again. So we might have a look at him later today. <laughs> wow, see, no cruelty to animals around here. No. <laughs> the, um, you know... When you're out in the field, you know, we try to be as careful as we can. But I do remember a time years and years ago, this wouldn't happen now, but, um, but years and years ago, I was, I was um, studying the, the robust grasshopper that I'm keen, of, keen on. Um, and uh, it lives on the, in the riverbeds in the, in the, in the twiles on the Mackenzie Basin. And I had to cross the river a few times to get to a few different sites. And, of course, you know, on crossing number, you know, six or seven or 18, I kind of picked the wrong line on the river and just got myself just a little <laughs> bit stuck. And there's nothing quite as embarrassing as having, having to call your, uh, your colleagues on the radio and, um, and try to uh, ask, for, ask for help for a bit of a tow out of the river. Tow your truck out. Right. Yes. Yeah, we've, we've got some loon stories, but uh, <laughs> we'll save those for another time. <laughs> 
Okay, where are we? We've got a question here. Uh, Further up, Sally. Is it possible for us to find insects underground during a bio blitz too? What kind of insects might they be? And that's from Matara School, so that's Southland. Absolutely. So there's some incredible insects, isn't there, that actually spend most of their lives underground. And so the one that comes to mind, of course, is cicadas. And they spend almost their whole life underground, don't they? Because they're actually spending a prime number of years, three, seven or, or 11 years underground, just eat, eating all the um, goodness out of the tree roots or the um, grass roots before they actually come and hatch and start singing in the trees. So isn't that amazing that they're, they're actually spending, you know, we, we see them and take them for granted a bit in the summer that, that they live in the trees, but actually they're spending most of their lives underground. And there's a whole host of invertebrates that are actually underground. There's mites and annelids and worms and, uh, and uh, grass grubs. And, and a lot of these actually have, just like the cicada, have um, parts of their um, life cycle that they will be above ground. Like a, in particular, moths are another group that spend a lot of time underground eating all the roots off the grass and the trees. And, and they get underground in such huge numbers that they become a pest on farmers' paddocks. So really amazing. But you know, you're right. There's a huge diversity of animals underground as well. Um, and... Our sampling techniques that we've looked at so far haven't really gone in to look for that, but that is another area of investigation we could do. But you have to be careful because it is actually fairly destructive to go digging big holes everywhere. Yeah, and that's a good point because a bioblitz, you are trying to find um, animals and plants, but you don't want to be disturbing those, those creatures or the plants. So you want to be really careful. So if you um, look under a rock, you want to carefully put it back afterwards. If you catch um, invertebrates or something in your pitfall trap, you want to release them to the same place in which you found them and try not to uh, freeze. Freeze your your yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, what else have we got here? Um, Are there any bioblitzes planned for Southland or Invercargill? I'm not sure whether you guys would know that. No. No. No, no ideas. I'm, I'm aware no. of it. No. But if there isn't one, you could always look into setting one up. Yeah. Or have your own mini bioblitz yeah. in your room or in your school. Yeah. And if you want some help with that, um, you can connect with people on iNaturalist or um, contact your local council or Department of Conservation. And I'm sure there will be people that would love to be able to help you with a mini bioblitz. Okay, we've got more questions coming in all the time. One from Heath there, and it, yeah, it's, it's related to the previous one. If we want to do our own bioblitz, what tips would you give us? I can give one little thing from my experiences. If you're a real novice, doing plants is easy because they don't move, <laughs> and then get the expert, get the experts and the the really. Um, the people who seem to be getting the hang of this to try and do the harder things. Yep, good point. And Nancy had some good advice about um, taking photos. Yeah, uh, so on my video yesterday, I talked about uh, taking photos and downloading the iNaturalist app. Um, and it's really good to make sure that um, when you're in the field and you're taking the photos, that they're nice and clear. Um, and you're taking several of them of the different plant structures flowers or um, any different leaf shapes that you have 
Um, and last night I put all of my observations um, online. I put about 30 of them. And this morning I opened up the app and uh, there were experts all over New Zealand who had identified everything already for me. So it took a lot of the hard work out. <laughs> yeah, and I really think it's important to go back and use the keys in iNaturalist as well and really spend that time discovering what your plant and animal is yourselves. But it's really, really powerful to know that there's a group of um, specialists and professionals out there that will back you up and will assist you in naming your plant and animal. Yeah, so like Brad said, like always try and give it a go um, with identifying a species uh, yourself and then don't be afraid if it is wrong because somebody else will come along and help you. There's another, there's another thing being improved in iNaturalist since I've been using it and it seems if you get a really good photo on a certain angle, sometimes it'll suggest what it is and you can look at the suggestion and go yeah that looks exactly like my one it didn't used to be that clever but it is it is much better and i think that's only going to get better with um, that recognition software and there are a couple of versions of iNaturalist there is an iNaturalist seek app which is on the resources page of the learns website which is a simplified version of iNaturalist so if you're finding iNaturalist a little tricky check out that app because it's I guess a little bit more student friendly and a good place to start okay um, what is the smallest insect in New Zealand do we have any idea it's probably something that we can't see we might need a microscope right. for well, so far we've been looking at macro invertebrates and that means these are um, invertebrates that we can actually see with our eyes but there is micro invertebrates so tiny that you're going to have to get a microscope out to find them and see them so um, there's actually a whole nother world down there of mites and interesting small insects in particular and nematodes and things but um, but yeah so just be aware there's another whole world way down there as well Mm. Some things I remember working on um, uh, on some birds up on up in Auckland, and and uh, you know the birds are just scratching themselves behind their ears using their claws, and, and we had a look closer on that, and there were um, there were two or three different species of mite which were just tiny, and some of them were skin mites burrowing under the skin, so incredibly hard to find without actually taking a biopsy. So we had some vets there, we'd anaesthetise animals, take a little sample of the skin, and look you know at their skin on the microscope and still find new species. In fact, one of the species we found was a, was a completely new to science species. So, you know, that kind of, you know, that's the, if you really want to be really, really, really thorough, then that's the kind of thing you've got to do. They're tiny, <laughs> tiny invertebrates. And that's what's really cool about a BioBlitz is it brings scientists from all over the place together and there'll be different experts. There might be a, an expert on bacteria, an expert on fungi, a plant expert, a spider expert, you name it. And they'll be able to... Um, name different species and as Ian said there might be new species discovered they'll have equipment such as microscopes etc some scientists even take samples away and then analyze them in the lab to see what's living in them so that sort of answers the question of yes there have been new species discovered during bio blitzes absolutely and we've got a question from um, Daphne. What is the most dangerous bug we might find in our garden? Any ideas? White-tailed spider, probably. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah probably yeah. white-tailed spider. Okay. 
White-tailed spider? Any advances on a white-tailed spider? Well, you know, I think there's quite a few people that are allergic to, to bee and wasp things. And if you're allergic, then they're probably the most dangerous thing. Uh, and somewhere down the scale are the things that might bite you but don't have, um, you know, poison in them. So some of the things we talked about yesterday, like a big angry, you know, hoo beetle or a, or a big angry wetter might give you a nip, but, um, but you know, isn't actually going to be terrible for you. Mm, it always pays to have your gardening gloves if you're uh, burrowing in your garden. Uh, what else have we got? Um, in your opinion, what is the best disguised or camouflaged creature in New Zealand? And that's from Donovan. Mm, very interesting question. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of camouflaged animals in New Zealand. Mm, I'd have to say something about skink species. Uh, skinks. Yeah, they're completely uh, camouflaged to the environment. You get some that live on screes and riverbeds. Um, they're this sort of mottled grey colour, and then you get um, ones like green geckos living in uh, trees and foliage. Um, and they're almost, if they don't move, you almost can't see them. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of th you know, lots of lots of invertebrates too. Especially I'm thinking about the moths, and mm -hmm. you know, that are so incredibly they blend in so well. To, to the environment that it's, you know, it's almost impossible to see them as Nancy said unless they move. Yeah and that's a feature of New Zealand um, animals in particular so in other countries you often get a lot of bright and gaudy animals but here in New Zealand we're actually we're into, <laughs> here in New Zealand it's more subtle and beautiful and camouflage but when you pick them up they're amazing and what I always think of is Pateki, brown teal. They look actually, see people see them from a distance or a photo and they think, oh, that's a bit of a humdrum. But when you pick them up, they're beautiful mottled greys and slight tinges of red and they meld in beautifully with, with the vegetation and things. And they're just such beautiful ducks when you're holding them in your hand. I mean, you get, the Australasian bison is probably as far yeah. as a larger, yeah. as far as a larger, a larger species is probably one of the best camouflage critters that yeah. occur in New Zealand. They're almost yeah. invisible in the in the habitat. And he'll stand on one leg, and poke his head straight up at the sky with his beak straight up to the straight up to the stars, and and he looks like a stick or something in the yeah, wheatland. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. clump of rushes, and he melds in beautifully, and he's got these beautiful feathers, and the feathers are actually all white, almost wiry. And um, beautiful mottled grey colour and greys and browns and just impossible to spot in the wetland. I've just sort of one other thought we've mentioned. Some... <laughs> no, I've got another one. Thinking about camouflage, we're talking about some of the, the you know the, the, the bright colours on on some you know animals uh, overseas. But but if you um, if you look at the you know under the we, we like to some of the using wildlife lifestyle, it's got colour but it likes to hide its colour. And I'm thinking of birds like the the kaka and the kaya that have got incredibly bright orange feathers under their wings. But if a, if a, if a kaka is, is just sitting quietly up in a tree and it's just browns and greens, We've just, um, we've just lost Shelley there for a minute. It's just frozen. Hang on, I'll just try and get them back. <laughs> so Shelley's just trying to come back in. So Shelley, we've lost you, but 
Can you hear us now, Sally? I can hear you. I'm just trying to get you back again. We seem to have We all got a bit excited you. there. <laughs> yeah, something happened. I heard the word kaka and a few things, and then we lost the rest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so I hope it wasn't too good an answer that you can't repeat. It was, it was, it was the best answer you've ever heard. Good actions. Well, it's, it's funny because now we can't start our video. I don't know why. So we'll just, anyway. go, we'll just go without, I guess. We'll, we'll carry on. I'm sorry we can't start our video. For some reason, it won't let us. We can't, obviously can't have enough internet. Hopefully mm. you can hear us. Yep. Um, I yes, can we... no longer see the chat window either, Barry. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. There's just a few more questions um, from Matara who are, being real or room nine what was the rarest creature you found yesterday I think the Kotaku yeah. Yeah. yeah so probably the, 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 yeah, the Kotaku the, the white heron um, was probably the rarest animal that we that we found um, they still only breed at one side only at one side down by Ocarina Lagoon yeah so because so actually, you know, Potaku are, are an interesting bird because they're actually found overseas as well. But in New Zealand, they're only they're very limited distribution. They only breed in one place. So we were very lucky to see one uh, yesterday. Well done, Nancy. She spotted it first. Excellent. And hopefully, we'll see some other rare specimens today. I'm hoping that we'll see a rye bill because I love those little critters. Don't know that we do. Anyway, um, maybe November up in Otuwharakai is perhaps a better time to be able to see rye bill. But hopefully we'll be able to show you one in the video because we do have some footage from, from other times of the year up in Otuwharakai. I think there might have been an appearance in one of the videos yesterday as well of a rye bill. So you can check that out. Uh, time for two more questions, Barry. Yep. Um, three, there's three more from Matara. Are there any insects apart from the cockroach that can live for several days or weeks without their head? No. I had no idea that a cockroach could live without their <laughs> head. Wow. Yeah. Cockro <laughs> That's an amazing fact about cockroaches. Um, cockroaches are pretty, pretty amazing. I think they're one of the three species that they reckon survive in a nuclear a nuclear war, a nuclear uh, explosion, uh, cockroaches, rats, and uh, some species. Um, so, they're, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty amazing and pretty adaptable. Um, I'm sure there would be a numerous other species that would survive. Uh, worms, I believe, you can cut in half and they will, they will survive as well. Although I don't, I don't do suggest that. not doing that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and, a, and a lot of our insects are quite, quite rare and special. So I would really refrain from mutilating <laughs> them if you could. <laughs> Chopping heads off. Yeah, <laughs> but the answer to the question is yes. I imagine there would be many other species that can survive. Yeah, and you could do some research on what what uh, is required in terms of essential organs in some animals, which means that you could um, potentially dissect certain <laughs> parts of them. <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> Next question, please. Have you ever been bitten or stung by one of the insects you have found? It's from Matora as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's, you know, most of, these, most of these insects are, 
they're only really capable of giving you a bit of a nuisance bite. Mm. And it's, I, I really think it's, I'd, ra- I'd much rather handle a beautiful big wetter and have them crawling all over me and experience that than spend my life being scared of them. So I think um, that's a price you pay from time to time that we're just going to tell you to put them down and leave them alone. Yeah. One of the great things about doing a bioblitz in New Zealand is that, you know, actually almost all of our animals um, and, and most of our plants are, are harmless. So, you know, there might be some countries in the world where you put your hand down a, down a bar or something and something really nasty can happen, you know, and I'm thinking <laughs> of a snake bite or something. But, but, he, but um, snapping turtle. But here in New Zealand, you know, we're, we're fortunate in a way that, that actually as long as you're taking care of the weather and you're, and you're taking care of yourself, the animals and plants aren't really going to do much damage. Mm, and it means that you can go tramping and climbing and all sorts of things and not worry about what animals are going to attack you <laughs> or sting you or bite you or, or anything like that, which makes New Zealand a great place to explore. Okay, last question, please. Actually, two more. They're both insect ones. <laughs> I think we need to answer them both. Oh. Are there any insects we can only find in Southland? That's from Matara. Hmm. Any ideas? Yeah, given that we're in Canterbury and you probably don't know <laughs> that much about Southland. I'm not a Southland specialist, but almost every single region in New Zealand will have invertebrates that only occur within that region. So you, I think you guys are going to have to do some homework, but um, I think you've probably got some huge land snails and things mm. in the hills and some maybe some wetter too that only occur down there. But I, I think you, you you guys will have to go away and do a bit of a Google search and find that one out, but I'm absolutely sure that there will be. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, you know, New Zealand has thousands and thousands of species of tiny little micro snail, and a lot of them are specific to a particular valley or a particular range of mountains. So that's that's got to be true down south and too. Yeah. And actually, I think there's um, the Takatuma gecko actually is a is a you know down in, down near Fiordland is a, is a is a, is, a, is, a, is an animal we're only going to find down there. And I'm sure there'll be more. Mm, yeah, just venture a little bit west and into Fiordland and there will be a whole bunch of different um, unique endemic creatures that you can find. Kiwi there, don't they? Mm. Yeah. Okay, is that it? Last one. In what ways are insects good for our environment? Oh, wow. that is a good question to that end That is on. a great question. Was that from, from Matara again? Yeah. Well, they're full of good ones. Um, Insects do tons of really, really important jobs in the environment. So they're actually part of the cleanup crew. It sounds a bit gross because they like having to get out there and um, help with decomposing and, decom- you know, and getting rid of stuff. But that's a really, really important role because we wouldn't want dead stuff lying around all the time or disease would be much more prevalent. So for a start, they're often part of the cleanup crew. And they also do many, many other different roles like pollinating so over half of the food in our world in the world requires on pollination to make it so without um, bees flies wasps insects without those pollinators those food sources wouldn't be available so and not only are they making food that way but insects are actually food as well so in places like particularly in africa um Locusts and grasshoppers and things directly in our food, and they contain tons of protein, and they're actually an everyday staple. item, staple item. And um, in New Zealand, not so much, but over there. But invertebrates like parwas and crayfish and things like that, um, mussels, we 
um, think of those as food, don't we, and, and really enjoy those. And invertebrates and insects play tons of important roles, don't but, they? But they're also really important, not just for human food, they're, they're, you know, they're often the, the, the basis at the, the, the lower chain, levels of the they? food chain. So they provide the food for a whole host of other animals. So our, and most of our native fish, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to live. Most of them eat the aquatic insects. We've got lots of species of birds or lizards. Um, you know, they, they snack on invertebrates all the time. And so without uh, insects and, and other invertebrates, then there'd be very little life on Earth, really. That's right. And so um, insects tend to work at the bottom of that food chain level. And what they're doing is the plants are, and um, algae and things are taking the energy from the sun and through photosynthesis, they're bringing it into the plant kingdom. But the insects actually often are the channelers that bring it into the animal kingdom. So... What important role? Mm, so, yeah, not to be taken for granted. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I know a lot of uh, classes have had to leave us, um, but remember you can listen to a recording of this. It will be on the website later on today and stay on the website for you to reference later. So thank you very much to all our schools that participated and to West Park School who provided our questions this morning to start the web conference. So well done, everyone, and now you can unmute your microphones and say a big goodbye. We've got the Thompson twins still with us. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I'll unmute them. Bye. I'll unmute them. <laughs> Bye. 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 Goodbye. Bye. 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 See you again. Bye. Bye.